All right, everybody, welcome to a new episode of Cube and Chaos. And today, um, with me, we have Finite, as always. Hello. And we have a guest on the podcast. This time, it's Compatible Wombat, a member of our community. Howdy, howdy. Glad to be here. Yeah, a uh, long-time member of our community and participant in many drafts. Saved, saved many drafts from starting with seven people, and <laughs> yeah, we uh, we pressured him into uh, finishing his cube to now talk today to us about it in the in the podcast and his journey when making his first cube. So he managed to finish it, and now he's here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a process. It was uh, whew, definitely a bunch of months of just thinking about these cards. Yeah, and you brought us also um, your signature spellbook, so maybe we can start with that so everybody yeah, can, can, can get to know you a little bit. Sure, sure, we can kick things off with that. Um, so I just have it sort of in like a chronological order. So I started playing Magic around the end of 2016. So in terms of like sets, Kaladesh had dropped earlier, and uh, Aether Revolt was one of the first sets that dropped after I had started playing Magic. I initially started playing Magic because one of my buddies picked up one of the 2015 Commander pre-cons. Um, it was the blue-red with Mizics of the Is Magnus. So it's sort of like, <laughs> it's definitely one of those stories where it's like the first hit's free. From there, I just got absolutely hooked on the game. And the first time I started to get competitive was about Aether Revolt, Standard Era. And one of the first decks that I ended up doing well in in an FNM was a Abzan token list. And from that, one of my favorite cards had to be a Hidden Stockpile. So for those of you that don't know, it is black-white for an enchantment with Revolt. And it says, at the beginning of your end step, if a permanent you control left the battlefield this turn, create a 1-1 colorless servo creature token. And then you can pay one, sacrifice a creature to scry one. Um, yeah, this card is just a fantastic role player in that deck, pumping out servos, um, making sure that I can jump block into some value. And uh, yeah, just a really sweet role player. It's a cool card. I I've seen it in many in many peasant cube lists. Raise his hand. I think. Yeah, I think it's in yours, Max. Yeah, but somehow I don't know. For me, it's like a card where I always have to read it again. Like I can never quite remember if the token comes from the sacrifice or the Christ or like which part is the revolt and. <laughs> yeah, it definitely on first read is like it takes a couple times, um, but definitely. Definitely sort of one of those staple cards in the, like, pauper-esque aristocrat decks. And it's definitely a big bummer that the Revolt Trigger only happens on your end step. Otherwise, the card would actually just be, like, like good. Like, you could just scry one every turn by sacking a servo away. But, um, yeah, no, card is card is sweet for sure. Yeah, it's a very nice one. I like it quite a bit. It's in my Artifact Cube, too. So what was the format that you were playing the Abzan deck in? Um, so it was standard, and I want to say uh, when I did well with it, it was when Hour of Devastation had dropped, so I had just slapped together. I really like Aristocrats as um, as an archetype. So in Amonkhet, oh no, it was Amonkhet actually. So in Amonkhet, we got the card Anointed Procession, which is the yep. white parallel lives, and I just kind of took that card and ran with it. It's got some sweet synergies, with obviously, with Hidden Stockpile. But um, also in the meta at that time, or in standard at that time, where stuff like Zulaport Cutthroat, mm, Sram's yeah. Expertise, Marionette Master. So I just kind of cobbled all of these things into a deck and uh, ended up taking away, I think, second place in a four-round FNM, which is 
the best that I've done at a tournament, <laughs> if that says anything about how much I attend, like, actual Magic events. Well, I mean, second place is definitely still an accomplishment, and I'm not really one for too many paper events these days. I don't even really play much uh, competitive Magic Online anymore, so, I don't know, I think that's still, you know, a pretty impressive accomplishment, and uh, a nice kind of pivotal moment in your Magic career, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. It was when I saw the leaderboard come up and I was above the usual FNM end bosses, I was like, I did it. This is this is my peak as a casual magic enjoyer. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, so after my bout with Standard, I had a bunch of rogue decks that I was just trying to do some nonsense with. I realized that, oh, hey, Limited is a format and it's also super sweet. And around that time, Magic Arena was also dropping like around the time that I got into a, into drafting a bunch and one of the first sets or close to one of the first sets that you could draft on Magic Arena was uh Corset 2019. So from Corset 2019, we have one of the absolute bangers in the red white aggro deck in Heroic Reinforcement, which is two red white for a sorcery. Uh, it creates two one one white soldier creature tokens and says until end of turn creatures you control get plus one plus one and gain haste. I absolutely fired off so many of these drafts because red white was a really easy color pair to force and heroic reinforcements was definitely at the top end of cards that you could get for that deck. I remember playing lots of daybook clerics and cavalry drill masters, dwarven priests, um, definitely Leona vanguards. You know, just a bunch of. Just here's my one mana one one that <laughs> does stuff, my two mana one three lifelinker, but you just stuff up the board with that and then eventually whittle your opponent down to where the heroic reinforcements comes in for the uh, the final blow. Yeah, just today I saw Raphael Levy being um, pushed by Chad into pick one, pack one that in the arena cube. Uh, so <laughs> Yeah, that's incredible. Probably not a, a great pick in that cube as a pick one, pack one, but... Um... It's a card many people like, and it's it's clean, it like works well with the color pair, nice synergy, peace again. For sure, yeah. Really powerful card, the fact that it pushes so much damage through at the time and then leaves behind a pretty reasonable board presence too. Um, it remains, I think, one of the best kind of Boros effects at uh, Uncommon, or that peasant level. And even in uh, the higher levels, like the Arena Cube, i you know not sure about pack one, pick one either, but the um, fact that people are even considering that I think suggests that you know it really is a strong card. Like try to think of something else comparable at the uncommon level in Boros, and I come up with maybe like Goblin Trenches. Like <laughs> no, very similar as Flemkins added. Yeah, that's mm. true. One red, red, white, two, two that enters the battlefield and gives creatures you control plus one, plus one in haste. So it's really very similar, but not quite as strong. Like by itself, pushes for one damage less, and it's harder to cast. So I think that's it's just the upgraded, better, cooler version of that. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, force a ton of red white, climb the ladder. It was great. Um, and then from there, close behind that set was the release of Guilds of Ravnica, which I still stand. I didn't play a whole bunch of Modern Horizons or something to that effect, which I've heard is fantastic limited formats like some of the best and obviously people hold dominaria and other sets like that in high regards but i think guilds of ravnica was definitely one of the better draft sets that have been around for and from there one of my favorite cards is artful takedown which is two blue black for an instant and says choose one or both tap target creature and target creature gets minus two minus four until end of turn 
this is just a really great role player in the blue-black control deck. Um, if you pair it with stuff like if you get, end up getting like the surveil deck and having like multiple disinformation campaigns and whisper agents and other things, like just having this sweet blue-black tempo deck that just runs over your opponent with value. Having a, occasionally a two-for-one or stemming the bleeding from an aggro deck by killing most likely their bigger threat and then tapping down the other one and then being able to swing in the following turn was just, it was just a big game for a common. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm sensing a theme here. <laughs> many gold cards so far, um, and I like them all, and I'm very happy that on your list is the Artful Takedown, which is also a card I liked and enjoyed, and not the also-mentioned Disinformation Campaign, which is a card that I really think made the format worse, but it was a great format, nevertheless. Not a fan of the fake news. <laughs> yeah, it's just a little bit too... It was just a little bit too easy and too regular that this card like, destroyed people completely. Yeah, it was kind of free to just empty your opponent's hand while drawing cards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do think that most people preferred like the Dovin security kind of stuff in RNA. I did enjoy um, yep. guilds quite a bit as well. Uh, I played a lot of that sealed format. I think I got a couple 9-0 decks in the friendly sealed, so that was fun. Yeah, mm -hmm. Artful Takedown, just a really like a format-defining card something you should be thinking about and playing around when your opponent has the mana up. Um, and like you said, a really nice design at common, good flexibility, good uh, effect relative to the cost. So yeah, I like this one quite a bit too. Yeah, it's the format where my love for um, the Wishcoin crap comes. So. <laughs> That's right. Oh, All right. Man. Absolute classic. Um, yeah, so from there, um, I got back into my EDH roots and... After this, the following summer, M20 came out. And with M20 came probably the bane of a lot of people's existence. But what I early predicted to be one of the best five-color commanders in Golos Tireless Pilgrim. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, which I'm sure are few and far between, Golos is a five-mana, so five-colorless mana for a three-five legendary artifact creature scout and it says when it enters the battlefield you may search your library for a land card put it on the battlefield tapped and then shuffle your library and then it has a big flashy activated ability that is two and wooberg exile the top three cards of your library you may play them this turn without paying their mana costs so i had the early no scope on this as being one of the one of the best five color commanders um and it quickly shot up there as being just an absolute menace to the format. Being able to circumvent the commander tax by getting a land automatically when it enters the battlefield, and that land could be any land that you choose. Um, just an absolutely yeah. ridiculous card. Um, <laughs> and then at this time, I was also very much into CEDH. Um, there was definitely a few years in there um, that I just was... I built tons of decks and had a bunch of fun in the format. Um, everybody that played with it, the LGS, also had decks that were up in that power level. So it was super fun to have pods that were all just like slamming the biggest, flashiest spells. And one of the gnarliest decks that I can think of that I built around Golos was a CEDH deck that I called Golos Wheels. Um, so basically, and this was also at the time that uh, Gigantha was legal as just a regular companion. And it paired unbelievably well with Golos. Just like, here's my five mana big old elk. And then uh, here's Golos with an activation next turn. Oops. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so the wheels deck, it paired pretty much as many wheels effects that were good in a deck um, along with Smothering Tithe. So what this allowed you to do is you play Smothering Tithe, you have Golos out, and then one wheel nets you three <laughs> Golos activations. That's insane. 
which is absolutely absurd. Generally finding you yet another wheel, um, and eventually you'll draw into a stack piece like Notions Thief or Alms Collector, and these allow you to just empty your opponent's hands. But until then, especially if you have like a Grand Abolisher on the battlefield, you're just sitting there spinning your wheels, and it's ugh, it's a great feeling. Um, so yeah, Golas is definitely up there as one of my favorite cards. So CEDH, was that always just a 1v1 format or also multiplayer? Um, it's a multiplayer format. Um, when I played it, it is. Um, I'm sure there's competitive 1v1s, but generally I've played in pods. Yeah, I think I've mostly heard of it as like a four-player format. Um, but yeah, that yeah, Golos is just an excellent cube card. There's so many people who love it. Maybe not so much an excellent commander card anymore now that it's banned, but... Uh... <laughs> mm-hmm. Wombat, I blame you. You're part of the reason this card got banned. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Ugh, brutal. I trust me, I'm sad about it. I have a planeswalk I have a planeswalker stamped Golos that's foil and a planeswalker stamped Field of the Dead that's foil, and uh <laughs> they will forever be resting in peace, unfortunately. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I also just learned that it's a scout. Interesting subtype there. <laughs> it's scout the land in play. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I just really didn't. Um, I thought it's maybe golem or construct or something, but I yeah, guess not. <laughs> golem, the golem would make sense, but no. Um, but yeah, definitely, I would say a quintessential cube card shows up in so many environments. Just a really kind of strong indicator that there's like a five color good stuff archetype to be going on there. Um, usually, some artifact synergy too, like in vintage cube stuff like that. For instance, you can maybe find like a Mishra's workshop or something, trying to enable an early Golos, um, things like that. Uh, but yeah, just a really nice card for, especially for a colorless one. You don't see too many colorless cards uh, that like ramp you by putting a land into play, not to mention any land, um, and have like a five color ability like that. I don't think we'll see another Golos style card for a very long time. Yeah, I think Golos is like the biggest big brother that Solemn Simulacrum could have. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah, so CEDH, I played mostly early college days, but then as I got later into college and more broke, <laughs> um, I've started, we started shifting, um, and I played with a new player group as well. Um, we shifted into the $100 EDH format. Um, so our format, we had early bands of Soul Ring and other things, and that on top of the fact that the commander cost or the the cost of the commander is also factored into the deck meant for some really fun and cool uh, like deck building experiences and really like bending your mind to see what the cheapest and best versions of cards are. And during the exploration of this format, um, Akoria came. And with Akoria came what came to be the bane of standard, but is currently one of my favorite aggro EDH decks in the form of Winota, Joiner of Forces. So this is the fifth card on my spellbook, and it is two red-white for a legendary human warrior. And it says, whenever a non-human creature you control attacks, look at the top six cards of your library. You may put a human creature from among them onto the battlefield tapped and attacking. It gains indestructible until end of turn, and then you just shuffle the rest and put them on the bottom. Um, and this commander is now the pace setter for the uh, the pod that I play with, in that if your deck is uh, any sort of control deck or any sort of like value grindy deck, you have to have legs against Winota, otherwise you're just going to get swept under by it or... Uh, Agar decks and its kin, and um, yeah, it's just one of my favorite commanders. I know a lot of people 
are because of its time and standard and its time doing ridiculous things like fetching agents of treacheries and other things off mana dorks. Like I know it was just obscene there, um, but I'm a huge fan of it in EDH because it can just swing games wildly. Um, and it makes three mana make two non-human creature token cards look a lot better than they actually are. That's for sure. Um, but I mean, it can do sweet cube things as well, or if you just happen in like a red-white aggro deck, and then you slap a Winota on the table, and you find like PN Kirin Noir or other big haymaker humans in your deck. Being able to pull off that synergy in cube is just a, a great feeling. Yeah, for sure. I really like the card, I have to say. I have not seen it that much in cubes. I believe it was in one of the cubes on Arena for a while, but it's been a while since I've seen it around. I thought I remembered it from one of the Spotlight cubes. Do you know about that? Yeah, I think it might have been in an early Live the Dream. You forget yeah. where I did it, but I do remember it being in a Moto Cube and me drafting a deck around it, and it being suspicious. But at the same time, the decks that it, like the turns that it worked in, boy, did it do work. Just because, like in Boros, it's hard to get both card advantage and mana advantage, and Winota does both of those things in a very like clean fashion. Wombat's always first picking huh. it. <laughs> oh yeah, if I see Winota, I take Winota. Cat girl for the win. Um, yeah, no, she's uh, she's great. I guess yeah. After this, um, one of my I guess not one of it is definitely up there for my favorite cubes. But um, one of the cubes that I've done the best in in on Moto so far is mm. Emma Handy's Proliferate Cube. When that came out for the first time, I drafted it a bunch and ended up being on like the leaderboard for at least a little while before I was swiftly overtaken by, I'm sure, Jaybro and a slew <laughs> of other trophy hunters. But from that, I realized the value of uh, one of the cards, which is the next card in my signature spellbook, which is mm. Voracious Hydra. So Voracious Hydra is X green green for a Hydra with Trample, and it enters the battlefield with X plus one plus one counters on it. And when it enters the battlefield, you can either double the number of 1-1 counters on it or have it fight a creature you control. Uh, so this is just an excellent limited card in the fact that it can either be a game-ending threat towards, like, turn 6 or 7. If you're both out of gas and you top-deck this, you just have, like, a 12-13 trampler that they either have to deal with or they're just going to get beat down by it. And then in the mid-game, it's still going to be, like, here's my 5-mana 3-4 that's going to fight your 3-3, three, three, and then it opens up the board for the rest of my attackers, and then I still have this 3-4 trampling body behind. But yeah, I just... This this card, having the ETB fight on it, is just really, really valuable. Um, you don't see it on a whole lot of cards, and especially having the modality of it being not only an yeah. X spell, but also being able to just beat this big beater. For um, sure. I just think it's a great one. Kind of insane for a green card. Like, being a mold card, <laughs> being a Chupacabra, and, yeah, I don't know. And an X spell, like... <laughs> It's it's yeah. I was gonna say, Crackshot. Don't you also have some experience in Carmen's proliferate cube crushing people? The Hydra. Oh, I really don't remember. <laughs> the green white deck. I think you showed me. You had like basically a turn three kill. I think. Holy moly! <laughs> yes, the, uh... I think I had. A, but I don't know if I had the, hi the Hydra. I was probably in that in that deck, but I'm not sure if that was involved in that game. Mm. Yeah, definitely one of the more soul crushing plays is uh, when you play it and then you double the number number of 1-1 counters on it, and then your opponent hits it with a parting thoughts, and they just refill their hand. <laughs> oh, brutal. Yeah. I've cast a few parting thoughts. I've still never drawn a single card off of it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but not in that cube, right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that cube, I haven't done too many drafts. Like, we did the mono-white one, I think, and then 
Did we do a mono red one too? I don't know. <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> but um, yeah, this is definitely an excellent cube card. And like Crackshot was saying, it really like fills a space um, that just very few green cards do. Um, something I was trying to say about Golos is basically, I would argue it's a color pie break for like a colorless card to have access to, you know, everything it allows you to do. Granted, sure, there's a five color ability on it, but I would also argue that this card is like maybe not a color pie break, but it's at least like a pretty big bend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a few other cards a bit similar to this, like the, um, the Indrix, uh, Affectionate Indrix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, there's another one, like Fears Band something or whatever from the second Theros, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then there's, uh, there's another, like, some some stag for 5 mana, like 4-3. Like, the Sonderwald. Yeah, yeah. And they, they all work in a similar way, but somehow this being for X means that somehow it always works. While these other ones, like, they are a bit expensive, a bit clunky, and you always feel like, ah, they're just a little bit too small. But this one extra point of toughness on the Hydra, and the X cost, like, making it an XX, just somehow it always works and always fits. Just Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and then I guess we can move on to the final card in my signature spellbook. Um, so this is just a culmination of all of the vintage cube drafting that I've been doing since, geez, I don't even know. I think I downloaded Moto in like 2018, and since then, every single season of vintage cube, I've been uh, at least drafted a few decks, and this is definitely key to one of my favorite archetypes, and it is Sneak Attack. So Sneak mm. Attack is... Three and a red for an enchantment that says red. You may put a creature card from your hand onto the battlefield. That creature gains haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. Um, yeah, sneak and show is definitely one of my more favorite unfair archetypes. Like obviously, you know that like mono black reanimator and all these other nonsense decks that can have like turn one kills are cool, but and good, and obviously will get you trophy. But just like sneak and show decks where you're just sitting there with red mana open and a sneak attack on the battlefield, and your opponent's just sitting there like, do they have a titan? Do they have an anti aggro piece? Like, oh. Love the card. Yeah. So, yes. Do you okay. also like to combine it with the uh, Palancron for um, one mana per 20 clicks? Or, <laughs> <laughs> or do you just like to get people dead with like an Eldrazi? Or... Yeah, I mean, the, the best version of the card is when you're playing it next to Amrakul Aeon's Torn. But I think the most fun version of the card is when you're playing it next to Palancron, or you're able to pay red red and just put Kiki combo onto the battlefield. Like, that's another. That's just. <laughs> <really cool thing. laughs> <laughs> that's not actually making the combo that much better but um yeah it's very enjoyable for sure oh, i yeah. mean it really helps your mana like kiki being triple red is quite the cost i think mm-hmm. uh, yeah but if you want to play the uh sneak attack and activate it in the same turn twice then it's also triple red i'll know because you can put like an exarch into play and like untap your mountain and then you know put the kiki into play um yeah, but you can also have two mountains in play and cast the Pester Mine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve, here we go. You know what you can't do with sorcery speed, that combo, is you can't respond to your opponent's removal spell with another combo piece. Oh, yes. Nice. <laughs> Just like. <laughs> have you ever oh, done that? Yes. I have had oh, a sword supply shares pointed at my Kiki Jiki, and I have responded by putting a. I already had Deceiver Exarch on the battlefield, and I put a. Uh, pester my down on the battlefield so oh that's so good i normally am not a big enjoyer of this combo but this is really sweet sure 
uh, starting to get a sense of maybe uh, a love of Flash that probably is going <laughs> to be from here. Ooh, good segue. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, so if you want me to, I can go over like the, the preface of what originally drew me to the idea of this cube. Yeah, yeah. Especially like, why did you decide to go for a three-color cube? And then what are the design goals with it? Um, all right, so this is the first cube that I've designed. And I, it came to my head, or I came up with the idea of it just because I really enjoyed the card Slitherwisp, which for those of you that don't know, is blue, black, black for a 3-2 with flash. And it says, whenever you cast another spell that has flash, you draw a card and each opponent loses one life. Um, so that, and also Nimrus Unus Trickster, um, just really cool flash threats that I haven't seen in many other cubes. And I... With coming up with my first cube, I wanted to make sure that they were going to be able to fit into an archetype that had legs, so I didn't want to make it too powerful, because these cards on their face don't have a whole lot of value, um, and you need a little bit of time to get going. And in, like, power cubes and other more, like, if I were to power up the cube at all, um, they would quickly fall to the wayside of picks. But I wanted to try and design an environment around that. So I started thinking, and I really enjoyed... Um, like the counters theme as well so like having counters um i wanted to have flash and i also wanted to have like an aristocrat style theme um so rather than going for the full the full five color cube as is tradition um i wanted to try bug cube just because i haven't seen a whole lot of shard cubes um we've had rounds of shard cubes on uh mtgo but i don't think we've actually had a salti cube yet and i thought that'd be a fun design uh, challenge for the first cube to try and make one that um, not only is bug but also lets Slitherwisp and Nimrus be actual role players and actually like see play. Um, I'm not sure if the current environment is 100% with that idea, but we've only had one playthrough of it, so uh, that has yet to be seen. But um, yeah, so my love for those two cards and my love for the bug color uh shard is really what drew me to wanting to design a cube um and then with that uh and the archetypes um i also really like cards like wilderness reclamation profit of crew fix seedborn muse um these like generally i mean obviously not profit of crew fix but generally like commander cards that can net you value on your opponent's turns and other things um being able to have these in a cube and limited setting seemed like a really cool challenge and a really cool like if you can build decks around it i think it would be sweet um, yeah, so that's and they, basically where it came from. They slot right in with the flash theme. Yeah, exactly. So were these then also the first cards you added to the list? Like you started with um, everything flash you liked, and then you looked um, for other ways to go from there, or? Yeah. So I the initially when I was looking at designing the cube, I went through um, what I'm sure a lot of cube designers do, and they just set up a. Uh, I just set up an Excel sheet and I put the themes that I wanted at the top and then filled in below them with cards that fit the themes. Um, so initially, the ones that I wanted to have for sure were Flash, Arden Scales, um, Mono Black Aggro, Theft, Ninjutsu, and Tokens. Um, and these aren't normally like the stuff that you associate with Bug. Um, like generally, like if you're leaning into blue, you know, you want like an artifact theme. If you're leaning into green, black or black, you want a reanimation theme. And I figured that these car, these archetypes have seen a lot of play in a lot of cubes. Um, and a lot of people know about them and like that they know like what's good, what's bad. Um, 
and have played with them a lot. But I figured a lot of these other things, um, they haven't played as much. And I wanted to have the QB have more different cards from cards that we've seen. Yeah, so I feel like you really succeeded um, with what you said last. Because when we drafted the cube, we were all in, um, we drafted online, we were all in voice chat, and I very often heard comments about um, that it's incredible that this card is going that late, it's so strong in this, in this okay. environment, and, um, and I don't think that necessarily those cards then ended up being a problem. So um, this, it was a different environment, and these cards like performed differently, and context mattered there a lot, so um, I think that really worked out well i'm yeah. glad to hear that yeah i think the uh the peanut gallery effect that the draft had where people were like looking at cards the first time realizing what's wheeling like what's getting past them like how is this not out like why well, don't even know what the pick here is i think that that was the biggest mark of like ah, i'm glad glad i designed it this way yeah for sure i mean my biggest takeaway just from that drafting experience is i feel like i need more reps like there's so many cards I feel like I know quite a few cards <laughs> that were printed mm -hmm. uh, just generally, but a lot of cards from like commander products made it into this cube. Um, and there are a lot of really sweet, like powerful inclusions, like because of that, uh, just unusual stuff that you don't see all the time on the magic online cubes, um, including one I know Crackshot wanted to talk about that actually isn't there on Moto. But um, yeah, I think for the most part for me, I just, it was like a super novel experience. Like I kept hearing the peanut gallery talking about how certain cards were going so late. My experience was just like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just going yeah. to take a card that looks good. <laughs> I, I also really wasn't sure about um, what what I should uh, put in my deck and what I should pass because um, with these three color cubes, like you really quickly are able to flesh for the last of the colors like you end start up with one color and then combine it with another and then it's like very easy for the third color to creep its way in just maybe on a splash for one or two cards but it's just a little splash and then there's often plenty fixing so yeah there is that was my experience uh, experience drafting it um not ex exactly knowing um where my deck wanted to go mm -hmm. Yeah, so looking at like the whole the whole draft experience, we could back it up a smidge and talk about. Um, so the first draft of this cube happened with only six people, which is a very like not a very non traditional, but it's it's the traditional draft in the way that when you can't wrangle enough folks for it on a certain night. But we really wanted to fire it off, and it uh, it ended up being all right. Uh, we did a team draft of it. Um, we had a, a bunch, basically everybody, uh, everybody in it was members of the community, including myself, Funnet, and Crackshot here. Um, and with it, we just did a team draft. And by the time that we got to the end of it, uh, I realized I had blundered in the fact that, uh, as cool as this cube was, and as, as happy as I was with having it together and having it drafted, um, I did not pick up the cards for it, which makes it very difficult to uh to try and get these cards to people's hands to play the games yes yeah, um, so <laughs> very often we have um drafted cubes and um max uh, landed out the cards from getting them from a loan account or um, sometimes people bought the cards for themselves but with your cube like there were quite a few cards in there that are like tournament staples and therefore are not basically free like many many cards on magic online are like not like fractions of a penny 
<laughs> but not so most of the cards in your list. Like they are, um, I would say, medium to high power standalone cards. So we realized, hmm, yeah, we actually like shouldn't just buy them and sell them again because like I don't know if the dealers are taking like or between buying and selling like a fifteen or maybe even if it's even five percent, then everybody would spend quite a bit of money on dealers and the loan accounts weren't big enough at the at the second and uh but it all all worked out well. Like I think Max um loaned out cards to his team, right? Is that right? Yeah. Uh one of my teammates actually refused. Uh they said that you know they could get their own cards no problem, which is always nice. Um like I'm happy to loan people cards, but whenever someone takes care of uh the cards themselves, it just makes the process so much faster. So Yeah, and then I wanted to do it for our team, but I only had like a tiny like loan account thing and I couldn't upgrade it quick enough and then uh another uh member of our community, Coconuts, bailed us out and lent us the cards and that all worked out very smoothly then. Like took took us a while to talk about it and the technicalities of, of getting them together. But once we got going it was amazing. Like I really had fun playing with you in a team and like getting the updates on how the games are going. It was really sweet. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah, I think this is more so just a cautionary tale to those those of you that are out there designing cubes or wanting to fire cubes and draft cubes across servers. Make sure you either have the cards or have the means to get the cards because from from starting from firing the draft to gameplay because of my blunder, uh, it ended up being like an hour and a half. Thankfully, the games and such, the gameplay uh, seemed to make up for it. It seemed like everybody had a pretty good time, both drafting and playing, uh, which I was very, very happy about. Yes, definitely ensure that if you're going to play a cube or anything else online, ensure that you were able to pick up the cards for it. Sure. Yeah. Speaking um, of um, having a good time drafting and playing, I played against both of you guys. You both beat me, so I'm ready for the trash. <laughs> <time. laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I I, I wasn't 100 percent sure what I was doing in the in the cube, and so I uh, was lured into the steel stuff theme because, well, if my opponent is having strong cards, then I will have strong cards. <laughs> <laughs> so. I just I just relied on my opponent to evaluate um, the cards well, and um, that kind of worked out. Um, in round one, I played against two Blave and sided even into a card he passed to me very late with the comment of, oh no, I hope you guys will not be beaten by this card I'm passing so late. Crash will probably put it in his deck. Oh, man. Um, I did not side it in against Max. It was mass manipulation hmm. with Quad Blue in my... Uh, blue black splash green deck was not easy to cast and max deck was really aggressive so i was quite afraid of it so i tried to lower my curve in any way that i could but yeah max had a lot of one mana two ones and um stuff like that yeah and a rankle to top it all off <laughs> yeah i tried to end up in this mono black deck initially i think my first pick was the black finale which can destroy three creatures uh it's an x spell it cares about toughness there were points where I drew so many lands that I was close to having the 12 mana to get the X. <laughs> but um, never got there, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, then from there, I wanted to try to play green. I got um, Ranger class pretty early on in that pack, but then it just felt like green wasn't super open. I was seeing enough strong cards in black. Rankle, of course, being one of them. 
I do think Rankle was probably the best card in my deck. Mono Black is just, it's usually a pretty dubious archetype. I It was my first draft in the Artifact Cube as well. Just kind of uh, taking one for the team, I feel like, to test archetypes that most people would rather avoid. Yeah, I, I just also didn't remember that it was a thing in the in the cube. So I do like to go for the aggro decks first, mm-hmm. or in the in the early drafts. Yeah. But with this, there were so many cards, and I just chose something flashy in the beginning. And then, like, once you are, like, two picks down the road of big flashy effects, you are never betting a second eye on those um, ones. black aggressive yeah. cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I think one thing that also really was a problem for your deck is that um, a few of the cards he would have liked ended up in Two Blades deck. I think he had the um, what is it, Knight called the for one black mana, the one two the Forsworn uh, Knight of the Ebon yeah. Legion. Yes, my bad. Yeah, Knight of the Ebon Legion that ended up in in Two Blades deck, and that would have really like been the perfect fit for your deck. Yeah. So I think I took another one drop over that. I don't remember. Um, but one way or another. It definitely would have made my deck better, and it did kind of get cannibalized. But at the same time, like it's really hard to say with only one draft, not to mention with six people, like how much like validity there is to that. It's also possible that I just like didn't do a great job like drafting the archetype. Um, but, but it's also very hard to draft these archetypes when you don't know the format yet. Like everybody in their first in their first draft, you just don't know which type of removal you have to value, how high you have to value it, and um, or like hand hate, like yeah. How important is it to to have a duress in your main deck or not? Stuff like that. Right. Oh, very hard. To yeah, yeah. Like if people are main decking duress versus me, for instance, I think I'm pretty happy because <laughs> it doesn't really hit too much. Like sometimes it probably whiffs entirely, but usually I would guess in mono black you have maybe one hit, so it's not really like a flexible card in that sense. Whereas something like Thoughtseize obviously has a lot more utility. Um, but then, yeah, just like one more thing going off of what you said about like the type of removal. Uh, Wombat and I already talked about this a little bit, but I noticed uh, kind of halfway through the event that a lot of my removal sorcery speed, uh, and it was still strong. Like once again, the parting thoughts uh, was one of the cards there, but my matchup against Wombat was definitely tough because a lot of Wombat's really strong effects could be played at instant speed. And then my sorcery speed removal is like, well, I, mm. I can two for one myself. Like, you know, I can like attack my creature into the whole breaker horror and then I can try to like blood chiefs thirst it. Or, you know, if it doesn't, if the horror doesn't get bounced to hand somehow or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, it just, I felt like I needed a little bit more of a way to interact. I think two blade was uh, the one who mentioned like hand disruption, but I, I don't know. I think hand disruption could be interesting, but other than like specifically Thoughtseize, I don't know how much I would really have valued it because you yeah. just can't you can't do that much with hand disruption. There aren't very many different powerful effects, especially to like leverage aggro, I don't think. Like I'm trying to think what else, like Inquisition or something. I guess you get a blocker or removal spell out of the way, but every time you're, you know, playing a hand disruption spell, you're not affecting the board. And that means that basically you're down. Yeah, that's mind maggot, I guess. Huh? The mind maggot type. Oh yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a. Good, I think that's a good idea because the um, like brain maggot and brain maggot. Oh, yeah. What's the other yeah. one? Like mesmeric something. But yeah, those fiend. 
I, I like those a lot because then you are, I mean, sure, it's a two mana one one, but you are still affecting the board. I think that's a, that's a good idea. I didn't think about those. Yeah, maybe yeah. if you combine them then with like a little bit of equipment or other ways to enhance them, maybe that's more of a presence. Yeah, before I go into uh, what deck I ended up in, I did want to mention that um, we might not have seen them in, just because we were playing with six people instead of eight, we might not have seen them, but um, both Kaito Freebooter and Mesmeric Fiend are uh, in the 360. All right. Um, the the Freebooter I saw, Okay. I guess I guess it was in Two Blades deck then? Probably. I think Two Blade was a big Freebooter fan. I mean, I am also a big free, Freebooter fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh looks like it ended up in the sideboard of Stormcrow actually. Oh, that's a surprise. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, so um so the deck that I ended up with was one that I forewarned um most of the times when I was talking about the format. I was like, hey, I think Seedborn Muse Prophet of Crufix, I think these untap effects are gonna be strong just given that Flash is gonna be such a prominent archetype. And um the deck that I ended up in definitely showed just like the the utility and usability and just ridiculousness of these effects if you can use them in the correct way and like utilize them to the fullest um yeah, if they so, truly double your mana then they are truly broken <laughs> yeah right um so yeah i ended up in the green blue flash deck and i had all three of the untappers and the redundancy in that slot was just obscene <laughs> um but um yeah i think one of my more memorable games was a game that i started with i mulligan to six and my hand had four lands a Talisman of Curiosity and a Vivian's Arcbow. Um, so, for those of you that don't know, Vivian's Arcbow is one in a green for an artifact that says X, tap, discard a card, look at the top X cards of your library, and then you can put a creature card with CMC X or less from among them onto the battlefield. Um, so, I think in this matchup, I uh, played the Talisman first and then the Arcbow and then waited until five. And then at five, I spun the wheel and ended up finding a Seedborn Muse. Oh, sweet! <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> it was gnarly. Um, and then Seedborn oh, that's so good. allowed me to untap, and then on two blaze term, I was able to do it again. And I forget if I did it in response to a spell or not, but I had Frilled Mystic and Mystic Snake as hits in the deck, oh. so I could have found them and countered them. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Super but this Akbo example is like the perfect example because that is a card that was. Like borderline playable in the limited format, borderline and playable. I don't think I have seen any. That card. That yes. Was I don't. Playable. It was not like a hmm? stone unplayable. You call oh, it? For okay. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I I don't remember which core set, but that that was a very bad card there. I was really skeptical of it here, but I mean, it did super well for Wombat, so I'm <laughs> I was impressed. That's a, It's funny that you say a core set because it actually showed up in War of the Spark. Oh, okay. Um, just to show how memorable yeah. that was. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah, I actually know that makes perfect sense because um, right, yeah, um, yeah, but like that's so nice if you have a card that's not that flashy and then that like, completely overperforms because of the environment. That's like, just perfect. Yeah. So and then the other untappers that were in the deck, or the other things that cared about untapping that were in the deck. I had a crystal shard, which I did not see throughout the game, but would have been just absolutely brutal with these untap effects. But I also had fairy formation, which I haven't seen in a lot of cubes. Um, so it's, it was, it's a niche card in the fact that it was released in the uh, Thrones of Eldraine Brawl decks. So I believe this came in the Holland deck. Um, and it's five mana for a 5-4 flyer that you can pay three and a blue to make a 1-1 one, one flyer and draw a card. Um, being able to do this multiple times with the untappers just felt incredible. Yeah. 
So the the three untappers um, that you alluded to, it's yeah. Wilderness Reclamation, the Seedborn Muse, and the Prophet of Prefix. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, actually, I mean, I like the green ones quite a bit because, like, Reclamation, you know, it's not a creature and it is cheaper, which to me means, like, you really have to be built around it to kind of leverage it. And the Seedborn, uh, yep. I mean, that's all permanence right not just lands so that one has a little more like general utility yeah. but as a creature it's also like more vulnerable to removal then i don't know the profit i mean mm-hmm. that's obviously like super strong right it is a gold card so maybe that offsets it i don't know <laughs> yeah so one thing speaking of gold cards that i noticed and that we talked about afterwards was that uh max removal that targeted non-black stuff or anything that cared about stuff being or it was worse when your opponent's stuff was black, was quite a bit worse, partly because, well, black is like a third already, but then additionally, like a lot of the gold cards are uh, black in addition to another color, and also the stone coil serpent <laughs> being quite a bit better because there was a lot of gold cards, like this together, was very interesting to me, um, because the, the just negatively caring or being worse against black is basically the other side of the same coin um, that was a problem in uh, the Teamer Cube both times a little bit, or was criticized at least, maybe not a problem, that like the color hate was a little bit too strong and maybe not so fun. But here it's like in a different way, like too often this stuff doesn't work, which was, yeah. I think, very interesting. Like it's one of the challenges with this like low, it's just something to tell people, to remind people that this is something to really keep an eye out on. Yeah, so going into it, when I was initially um, designing it and trying to come up with removal, I knew I wanted the mono black aggro deck to be a deck, just because I wanted it to be able to fight and beat down on these greedier decks that are going bigger and doing larger things. Um, I wanted their, them to have the ability to just go in um, and get them down to a precarious life total before they started doing the unfair things. Um, and then I wanted... Most of the removal, I tried to make most of the removal on board be sorcery speed just because um, it was just a thing that I was like, well, if the big decks are doing their big things, I want them to have at least a turn to do it rather than just like, here's my nine mana thing that I've been waiting all game to cast. And then in response, it just gets like infernal grasp or something. Um, so uh, I think in one of the quick ch- one of the changes that's definitely going to come up is taking out the non-black removal um just because i have realized the that having removal that doesn't deal with the third of the cube is uh definitely dubious at best um so taking those out for just generally good removal spells is definitely going to be a move as well as increasing um the amount of instant speed block removal just because uh actually looking at the pod the the teams were broken up into uh, it's kind of funny because one team ended up on all aggro decks. Uh, so Stormcrow had a uh, counters aggro deck, Finite had the black aggro deck, and then Tubelip had like a rock deck. And then I ended up in like blue green value. Coconuts ended up in the ninja deck, and Crackshot ended up in a blue control deck. Um, so it's interesting that, and then through that and through the matches, all of the value decks came out on top of the aggro decks. So I definitely think there's some balancing to do there. But again, this is another, this is a weird environment to test it in. Yeah, it is. But I mean, um, it feels to me like um, you want to shift the removal suite in a way that uh, helps out the uh, aggressive decks a bit more. So like 
Infernal Grass that you just said is like a very good example, I think, because I mean it, it does answer uh, the aggro threats, but at the price of two life might help the aggro decks a little bit more, right? So that mm. if you played in the aggro deck, it at least answers everything, and you don't really care about the life and the uh, the controlling decks like pay pay a life price for it for it being so cheap and efficient. So maybe like stuff in that direction could could help it out. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do want to make removal more aggro centric. Um, like one of the things that I discussed with Finite after the draft was uh, not including one of the haymakers, like uh, Murderous Cut, like colloquially known to be a very good removal spell. But I think it rewards the more controlling decks a lot more than it rewards the aggro deck. So yeah, I, I think so. Try and keep it to like a two mana, two mana removal suite that favors the aggro decks. Especially since the black aggressive deck, which is, I think, yeah, it's the counters and the black aggressive deck, right? But the black aggressive deck really also cares about its own graveyard, right? Yeah, I mean, I did a fair amount of, like, sacrificing my own stuff, um, bringing stuff back from the graveyard, stuff like that. I've been looking through here to try to find some Ecratol variants other than Chupacabra, come up with, like, Faceless Butcher, which maybe is a little past its prime, but we also have, like, Gelatinous Cube, which I think is probably an excellent option. I mean, it it has a cube on it, right? So it has to be <laughs> has to be a good choice. <laughs> An inherent cube card, yes. Um, Keening Banshee is a medium one, but oh, Skin Render. It's probably the next best one. Anyway. Yeah. Isn't there this there's also one Hopper that is like some some Night Stalker. Um three black oh, black talking about the three two that edict yeah, something? I know what you're talking about. Um, mm, yeah. I feel like that is something that um yeah the edict creatures are interesting there's like that one there's the one from war the spark where they have to sacrifice a creature discard a card um fleshbag marauder the classic so those definitely could be in as well predatory night stalker was the one i was thinking of i mean it's maybe it's a little bit too weak for the general power level of the cube but stuff like that because i feel like the edicts are like not that great against the aggressive deck but decent against the more controlling deck, maybe? Yeah, I, don't know. I think I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. Um, my favorite moment from this draft was just when I mulled the five. Uh, I think it was game two against Swambat. Maybe game three, actually. And um, I thought I was just dead because, you know, a lot of the time that's what it means. If you mold a five, you're just not really going to have a game of magic. Um, but even though I did mold a five and then I proceeded to draw a lot of lands, um, I was actually just in the game somehow. Uh, and so one of the cards that kept me in the game uh, was Bloodgast, and the other one was Skyclave Shade. Um, and just having these uh, cards, I mean, Bloodgast, of course, has done a ton of stuff and constructed, and Skyclave Shade, uh, I think, has seen maybe some like standard play or something like that. But uh, these are great, aggressive, like recursive threats. Uh, it felt so good to, you know, every turn, it's like I'm able to do something or threaten something, uh, regardless of what my step is um and that meant that you know this game that very easily could have been a non-game was much more interesting like wombat really had to try to kill me <laughs> so yeah i really liked when i was coming up with the mono black uh aggro archetype i knew that i wanted to have the sticky threats just because not only are they just good because it gives the aggro deck like some sort of card advantage and the fact that they they come up with a threat that is either gonna hit the opponent for three or two every turn and they're gonna have to deal with it um or it just like it eats up smaller creatures for breakfast and then just comes back um especially skyclave shade like later in the game when the aggro deck is running out of gas being able to have a recurrable five three for five is like 
I think, a, a super big game for him. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't super often that I wanted to kick it because I usually had other things to do with my mana, but just like having that as an option is pretty valuable, I think. Yeah, it plays really well with like the the sort of sub um, aristocrat style stuff that's going on as well. Exactly. But it's crazy how much our perception of, or at least my perception of the cube has changed after the first run of it. <laughs> Just seeing what decks are there and what themes, like, picture is much clearer after. Even though I did read the description before, but I read it like two weeks before we played. And half of the stuff I forgot again. I, the only thing I 100% remembered was the, um, because we also talked about it, the flash theme and the untap theme. And I remembered the, uh, the ninjas. But yeah, somebody else was in the ninjas, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm just looking through all the drafts and from the draft log, and I'm just happy that everybody ended up with decks that you wouldn't normally see in many cubes. Um, like being able to play cards and play play stuff that you just can't you just don't see outside of this format is uh it's cool to see how they were put together into usable and honestly sweet decks yeah you know one thing um of generally feels about monocolor aggro is it's much more interesting when there's a theme i really felt like um my deck did have a theme like being able to yeah, yeah like okay. sacrifice my own creatures and i uh, just like get value from them that way um i don't know turn on morbid or chump attack just to force through a couple damage and then play a land and like recur the things like all just like played pretty nicely i think nice yeah and i think with i think if we do eventually get eight people to fire off one of these drafts i think people are going to end up with a lot more archetypal decks or at least i'm hoping to um like there were a few cards that ended up in people's sideboards that like were for a specific deck and they just made it around the table because it wasn't represented or people were drafting decks that didn't really want them um so yeah i think once we once you fire off a full eight person it's going to be hopefully come up with some speed decks as well i bet um any more thoughts on this cube before we transition to the uh ubiquitous vintage cube yeah there's one last thing that i could have asked earlier which is um did you feel nervous before the draft and was that warranted so yeah um yeah i definitely was a little bit nervous just because um I mean, obviously, yourself, Finite, Tubelave, everybody that was in the draft pod are sort of like pillars of the community, have participated in a lot of in a lot of drafts, a lot of cubes. Normally, um, if you put any amount of time and effort towards a cube or an alt play event, you'll eventually get some trophies and stuff. Um, so just having a full group of very good limited players taking a peek at your deck or a cube for the first time and then immediately on the first pack being like, I have no idea what to take. <laughs> um it was uh yeah it was definitely both thrilling and ner like nerve-wracking just because like oh man if people don't know what to take how are they going to come up with decks and how are they like are the archetypes and everything else clearly represented and other things um so yeah going into it i was definitely nervous um but as the dra draft progressed and people talked about like what picks they had what was going around um and by the end of it everybody jamming jamming what they had it uh and it ended up being a really good experience and i'm very happy that it uh it was able to fire because we were able to see what decks are able to come together what performed well what needs to be tinkered with a little bit and um yeah overall i'm really happy with how it went okay so you would uh sign my general advice of people to in matter of doubt just play a draft with your cube and uh then you have at least something to work with yeah, for sure. I think it's very valuable before, like, 
all the advice that I heard coming into it was just have it together. The cards will fall into place. We just need to get this first one under the belt so we can see what performs. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. <laughs> Always a pleasure um, trying out a new cube. And I know you put so much love and work into this. Um, I don't know. It was really, I think, nice experience being able to <laughs> test out kind of the fruit of your labor. Um, and I definitely want to go back to it. So it was definitely I... worth it. So. And fantastic yeah there and there are definitely some like niche achievements that i hope to see people um when this gets drafted in the future um i definitely want to see somebody flash hulk i think that'll be <laughs> something that's great that's in the queue um and then there's also two sets of partners so if anybody can get those to work together that'd be uh that'd be fantastic i do have a question about the flash hulk actually because i noticed if i recall correctly that they were both in your sideboard um they so were, what yeah. is what is the goal i know um a little bit about the combos you can do with Flash Hulk outside of just Sultai, but in this cube specifically, what are you what are you trying to do? Um, so I think it's I think it's more so just like going to be a value play. Um, like Flash has quite quite a bit of reach in this cube. Um, I like to think like I think there's a lot of things that you can flash out that are super sweet. Um, like let's say flash out an agent mm-hmm. treachery. Um or flash out like Narumeha or uh, like a decimator of the provinces. Being able to cheapen one of these like powerful ETB effects in general, I think is a sweet thing to do. Um, and then Hulk obviously plays well with the Abistocrat one. But um, in terms of like flash hulking in and of itself, um, there's just a lot of powerful three dups that you can pair together. Um, but I think uh, one of the sweeter ones is getting uh, Hapatra and Yawgmoth. Um, and then you can just board wipe your opponent and fill your hand up <laughs> that sounds awesome um yeah so if anybody's able to pull that off that would be sweet but um yeah i mean inside of that or if you just like have a deck full of one drops being able to get six one drops for the cost of one and a blue um seems like a sweet sweet thing to pull off i don't know i just want to do something with good swarm and toski and i don't know tender shoot dryad or whatever <laughs> Yeah, I mean, even just value stuff, like, for one and a blue, it's hard to go wrong for getting, like, Coco for two things from your entire deck, basically. I think it's pretty cool. Um, a bit surprised that you had it, but didn't run it in your deck. Yeah, I think just the way that the deck was, I knew that I was going to get more value out of, like, just having value engine loops. Like, I had the Crystal Shard plus either Mystic Snake or Frilled Mystic, so I could just have, like, counter stuff up um, if I had one of the untappers on board. And uh, just, like, value loops like that is what I think I was trying to turbo for, along with the ramp in the deck. Yeah, but when you have this combo in your deck, you basically just have to draw it naturally, right? There's not much um, in the way of tutoring it up. I mean, there's good yeah, card right. in blue, obviously, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I thought of was, like, adding something like Shared Summons um, that lets you tutor for two creatures um, uh, at instant speed for three green-green. Um, so being able to do stuff like that. Otherwise, fla- again, Flash just pairs well with good ETB abilities. Or, I mean, you can use it as the card is intended and just, like, put a creature into play at instant <laughs> speed, too. Yeah, yeah. Did you think about, like, um, Worldly Tutor? Um, yeah, I mean, I could do, I could throw tutors in there, too. I think. I mean, you don't have to, like, fill it all up with, with tutors, but, uh... Yeah, I think finding, finding the right mana point for a tutor is what I really am gonna need to look at. Um, just because I think Worldly Tutor is a good role player, because it finds your untapping creatures and like, the green... Exactly, yeah, was, that was what I was thinking of first as well, like, that it gets both of the untapper creatures, 
which are like mm-hmm. really like cornered stones of their respective decks. Yeah, or it can find like your uh, your chupacabra if you need removal at a certain point, or like the big the big fatty that you need to finish off the game and other things. So yeah, I definitely think that there is merit to uh to including one or some. I was gonna mention um there's empath for like Hulk in particular, but it doesn't find chupacabra or the untapper effects. So that's really something I think you need if you're going a little bigger. Um, the Hullbreaker horrors and the um. Silumgars. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. Um, oh, yeah, I guess... Uh, uh, sorry, just one more Flash Hulk pile is, uh, is Zuri plus Sage of Ours. Um, I forgot that I included that combo, but um, yeah, that's definitely another thing that you could be doing with it. Uh, so, I don't know what either of these cards do. So but. <laughs> I think Sage of Ours is the... It's like a two-mana one-one, right? And if you have five counters on it, you can remove them and take an extra turn. Is that about right? Uh, yeah, and then Azuri is a... Cre- is oh, right. A- legendary creature that gets experience counters every time that you play a creature with uh, power two or less. And then at the beginning of combat, you put counters on target creature you control equal to the number of experience counters that you have. So you can effectively use them to take infinite turns with a creature-based combo. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I saw the Sage of Hours wheel around the table and not really knowing what to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like it ended up in Stormcrow's sideboard, which is unfortunate because he had Azuri in the main deck, but um, it looked like he had better things to be doing than uh, trying to combo. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's a lot of experience counters, but like you said that Stormcrow was playing the uh, the counters deck, so maybe it was possible, and at least it seems like the Sage of Hours went to the correct player. So Yeah, he had Hardened Scales and the Doubling Season for 1-1 counters, so it was probably pretty achievable. Worth a shot. At least. Yeah. Um, exactly. All right. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Thank you once again, Wombat, for introducing us to this format, uh, allowing us to test it out, sharing it with us, consulting us. Um, anyway. So, uh, Vintage Cube, it's always here, or it's always just around the corner on Magic Online. <laughs> yeah. Just gone now. <laughs> right. Now we have one of the several alternatives to Vintage Cube. In the past, we've had uh, lots of Spotlight Cubes that are basically uh, customized versions of Vintage Cube, like ones with color imbalance, ones uh, where maybe cards like Fractured Identity and Bribery have been cut. Uh, But now for the second time, we have um, Supreme, quote-unquote, Vintage Cube. This time, it's a little bit different from the first time in that there are no duplicate cards in the draft, but before we dive into that, uh, I think we should talk a little bit about this last season of Vintage Cube. I'll just say right off the bat, I didn't play too much of it. There were those amazing free tokens, though, which is a great way, I think, to entice players who don't normally play much Magic Online uh, to try Vintage Cube out. Uh, I have a couple of Magic Online accounts, so I trophied one draft and two one to the other with the uh, tokens, and that was enough Vintage Cube for me. But I'm curious what you guys uh, were up to this past season. Yeah, so. I was up to my usual stuff. Um, I played the <clears throat> the pre-drafts um, I and my friends had when they were visiting um, before New Year. And the free draft didn't go all too well because, um, well, we have been <laughs> drinking beer and like multiple people drafting together also always makes stuff a bit more complicated. Um, <clears throat> but it was free and we had fun. And... Um, and then later when I draft by myself, I just did my usual five color aggressive stuff. Um, I had one fun deck 
where I played Fast Bond and Draw Sevens and a Time Walk and Omnath and really tried to do some fancy things there, but that really crashed and burned and went on uh, three. <laughs> the Jack just it just didn't do anything. <laughs> it did a lot of things, but didn't actually accomplish anything. Like I I feel like I really was missing something to uh, yeah impact the board, kill my opponent in any any way, shape or form. But it <laughs> uh, was still interesting. It was really out of my comfort zone. Like I normally don't play these combo decks, and yeah, that one really showed because it was just <laughs> a pile of <laughs> of nothing. <laughs> you also drafted a but, fast yeah. bond deck and trophied after cutting the fast bond, right? <laughs> Yes, yeah, that was um, after like after this one thing burned, crashed yep. and burned, I drafted Mono White two times, just to calm down a little bit and collect some play points, which worked as like a charm, and then I drafted um, a good blue-green deck, um, which had a really late pick, um, um, Great Hope Behemoth, which really helps to end games, as For sure. Know. Um And how about you, Wombat? Yeah, Wombat. Um, yeah, so this Vintage Cube season was um, definitely an interesting one for me, just because uh, I think at this point the jig with Mono White is up in that uh, it's been mentioned so much and streamed so much and it's been out in the universe so much that uh, people have really picked up on it. So I wasn't able to, as Crackshad did, farm a whole lot of play points with Mono White, um, but it did end up with some sweet decks. Um, I think one of one of my favorite archetypes that I did end up drafting was like black red mid range. So being able to have stuff like Doretti, K Command, just super sweet, valuable two for ones and other things. And then of course there was the uh, the Midas deck where I ended up with so many riches I wasn't sure what to do. Um, I ended up with uh, two mocks and a black lotus and a time walk, and it ended up being this really weird, <laughs> super cool four color like combo deck. deck. Um, yeah, there was it was some nonsense for sure. Yes, yeah, it right. It it was nuts. I think I got past a Moxin and a Time Walk. So shout out to my uh, shout out to everybody that was in that pod for passing me the power. Um, I got a screenshot of it. Let me take a peek quick. But um, yeah, I think that was definitely one of my one of my other favorite decks that I drafted. Um, unfortunately, went one two a lot more often than I do generally. So it was a bit bit tough on that front. But um, managed to sustain it with some other two ones. Unfortunately, did not trophy. Um, yeah, the combo deck, it had that, and then had, like, Mind's Desire and some wheels along with Narset. Um, just just a whole bunch of nonsense. Yeah, I, I, I've just... This combo-y stuff, I feel like it doesn't really work that well in Vintage Cube, actually. Like, at least for me. Maybe I'm just terrible at it, but if I have a Mox, I just <laughs> want to play it yeah. an early 3-drop or 2-drop, which dominates the board. And there's so many of those. And they are so interchangeable, and it always works. That that's what I end up doing. Just thinking too fairly, there, Crackshot. <laughs> There's no such thing as fair and vintage cube. <laughs> People say, "Oh, this is a fair deck," yeah, but I think it that's... is not really. That's true. That's true. Oh, oh I was point... just gonna say, like, I'm, I'm on. I think we're lagging a little bit. Oh, I just... um, I'm on board to debunk the myth of fairness, just because uh, after, like, I quote-unquote exclusively play fair decks um but the fair decks are unfair in the term like in the sense of consistency like the decks that channel you turn to or the storm decks or you know the twin decks even uh like 
most of those decks need multiple colors of mana. They need different pieces that do different things. Whereas like, you know, the aggro decks, you're really just trying to do the same thing over and over. And just about all of your cards contribute to that. Um, so just playing like the most redundant pile of magic cards ever. <laughs> it might not really seem like it, but it is, I would argue, equally unfair. Yeah, I think when you want to see how the peak power level in magic cards has changed in the last six years or so, you just compare the Magic Online Vintage Cube lists and you really see that these pair mid-range cards, whatever, they just now kill so much quicker and there's so much more good interaction outside of blue. Like in blue, it's still the old cards that are the best, but outside of blue, there's so much more good interaction now uh, that I feel like that's the place where the cube is currently. Um, so I think this could be... Oh, Wombat, go ahead. Sorry, because I stepped on your toes yeah. earlier. Yeah. I was going to say it's definitely a mid-range EQ, but I just wanted to go over um, a sweet moment that I actually had with one of the cards from my signature spellbook. Um, and it was against against a quote-unquote fair mono-white deck. Um, definitely when you get that deck as like what it wants to be, it is not fair. <laughs> um, I was getting aggroed down pretty hard. I think I was down to like five life or something ridiculous by turn five. And I managed to land a sneak attack with a mountain up. Um, and OP comes in for the swing. And much like hitting your opponent with Settle the Wreckage, oh. I snuck in a Massacre Worm. Um, mm. It was, uh, yeah. Massacre Worm is a crazy card, I think. I think it's the card that beats me most often when I think this is unlosable. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that it was, seems right. The name, the name did it justice in that game for sure. Is that the uh, is that the same match where you had the uh, Emrakul win with the Adanto? Uh, that was a different one, I think. Okay, but yeah, just but... crushing these mono white players left and right, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Thankfully, the, the unfair stuff won the day in a few matches. <laughs> yeah, really nice. If yeah, the like meta changes in the way where you have to come prepared for the mono white deck like <laughs> that was also not really a thing um i don't know a few years ago yeah um so going back to the stuff you guys were talking about about mid-range um actually i wanted to transition to uh the cube for charity event that we had this year um i think we had this two times previously i'm not sure i know we had it last year though um I remember watching it then and enjoying it quite a bit too. Um, but pretty much it's this event uh, that Jbro puts on with Jim Davis. Uh, they have teams. They uh, invite great players to their teams and they just stream two days of Vintage Cube um, and just really rake in the donations for uh, these charities. Um, and it's just a really amazing event to watch if you like uh, watching Magic content, especially Vintage Cube content. Uh, lots of different players, um, all of them quite skilled. Uh, this time I spent a lot of the first day watching a player I actually had never seen before. Um, this is a player that Jakob had talked up, uh, Hogpog98, aka Arya. And um, yeah, I mean, she was off to a really amazing start. I think she trophied over 50% of her drafts. Uh, and she was doing a very different um, kind of strategy than I usually see in uh, in these cubes, she was playing like lots of black white, um, like combination of a skull clamp token decks, but also reanimation. Uh, so really kind of set, uh, setting up for like a recurring nightmare kind of thing that does both halves of that. Um, and 
yeah, I mean, it was just really a dominant performance by her, uh, especially toward the beginning when she wasn't uh, maybe so tired like she ended up being toward the end. Uh, oh, yeah, she Skullclaw. She played a lot, okay. right? And I believe she even out-trophied Jabro during the time of the event, right? By one trophy? Uh, I, I don't remember by the end what the score was, but I do remember during day one she basically was carrying her entire team <laughs> um and she yeah she definitely had more trophies than jbro on day one day one was rough for a number of the uh streamers um and yeah i mean skull clamp is a card like it's fairly notorious i think people know uh that it's a pretty busted magic card but it's never been as busted as it was in her decks because a lot of the time in the mono white decks the mono red decks Skull Clamp is a very good card. It allows you to kind of grind in spots where you normally can't. Her deck was set up to grind, um, so there was no real opportunity cost in like losing the creatures. Like normally, it's a little awkward that you're not attacking so much if you're also killing your creatures. Um, but in her deck, it was just like the perfect combination of um, effects. Lots of reanimated like Gristle Brands, Archons of Cruelty, things of that nature. Uh, really impressive stuff. Then. Um, I didn't get to see very much of it, unfortunately, but I know that uh, Caleb Durward also had a very dominant performance. I saw a little bit of him during um, second day. I know, too, that I believe last year he was the only player to trophy roughly 50% of his drafts, and I think by the end of um, this event that was true once again. So Caleb, just incredible consistency, um, very strong drafter and player, uh, which you might expect from all his hours of streaming. Just a really nice event. Uh, curious if you guys have anything else to contribute about this one. Yeah, it's um, just sadly always in the time of the year where I'm not watching so much. I would love to watch it all live and to cheer people on. Um, but yeah, it's a friends and family time for me. So oh, yeah, yeah, around the holidays is always tough to try and catch magic stuff. But um, tuning into Caleb's and seeing him just trophy with some nonsense and. It's always great to see. And then the amount of money that they raised for charity, too. They broke through their goal, which Jaybro talked about a lot, is thinking it was unachievable, and they broke it by 2,000, which was just great. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's just a really special event. Um, and, you know, although, like, Vintage Cube isn't my favorite uh, event to play, I really do like watching it. Um, I like hanging out in chat. feels like usually it's going to be a good time during the holidays or otherwise. Um yeah, it's just a blast that, I don't know, this alternative play event is really being um, taken to all these different levels. Like The fact that it's now an event in the mocks is so exciting. The fact that there are these hugely uh, impactful, like, charitable events uh, involving it. I think it's just a really great sign for, um, for Magic Online. It's kind of like the lifeblood of, um, of the client, I would say. Yeah, I mean, there's... Probably also a big part in the modern community, I guess, and legacy community. But we are kind of disconnected from that, so I'm not 100% sure there. But that's <laughs> probably the other um, part of the of the lifeline of MTGO. Yeah, I think the uh, right. the free draft tokens too were a big boon for the for it. Um, just a great thing for the holidays, being able to give everybody at least one shot to go in and do a. Do a sweet vintage cube draft and play with pay with the power nine and other things if you're that lucky. And um, I think at one point the LA Ghost said that there were like close to ten thousand people in the queue, which is just immense. Yeah. Um, so it's great to see it sure. get that much reach. Yeah, for sure. 
Uh, all right. So now it's time for a little diversion here to a um, question I've been asking a couple times on Twitter. I'm curious to hear what you guys have to say. Um, I'm not going to try to bias the question one way or another. My answer might actually surprise you guys. Uh, but I'm curious what you guys think about Magic Online uh, would benefit. Like, would it be net good for MTGO to have uh, Evergreen Vintage Cube? I think no, it would not be good. I think I think Evergreen Cube is a good idea. I yep. think Evergreen Vintage Cube is less of a good idea. Yeah, I agree, 100%. But basically, you're both looking for variety. Um, yes, because like even the greatest limited sets get old to people at some point. And I think the vintage MTGO vintage cube would take longer than most sets to get old. But unless they are like really drastically changing the list often, I think it would lose the appeal relatively soon. Like after two months or three months, people would stop to be excited about it and then the pendants would go down. Yeah, I think the current pacing that they have with it, where even if it's just like every quarter, the vin- like I think that's what happened in between these past couple of years with the pandemic going on, they realized that there was a market for it. Um, but like basically any time after a new set drops, being able to show show off the haymakers in in vintage cube. Obviously, there are some some less notable cards. Like obviously, some of the new set cards that get dropped in are like eh. But um, I would like to see. Like if they were to, if they keep up the pace with it, bringing back some of the stuff that people like to see in the cubes. Like I think Thief of Sanity has a great home in it, and it hasn't been in the cube for a while. But just cards that we've seen that have been cycled out for new cards. Obviously, cycling out cards for new stuff, they want to push a new product and other things. But uh, seeing old haymakers come back would be a, a welcome return. Sure. Yeah. 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 So my thinking with this question pretty much is that um, you see vintage cube on the alternative play calendar quite a bit we see it significantly more than any other format and would be possible for magic online to create uh like an alternative play calendar separate from vintage cube allow for even more variety so maybe like vintage cube is always an option but then you know you can play whatever the cube is for the week or for two weeks um i think you guys have a very strong argument against um doing something like that because i imagine that even though some players would probably enjoy it quite a bit, I think eventually people would get tired of having Tidge Cube up um, as an evergreen format, even if it's not the only option. Um, you know, of course, the release of new sets would bring some excitement because the cube would get shaken up a little bit. But what we've seen from Magic Online is probably just not enough room or space to kind of change up the archetypes drastically. But yeah, I, I would expect you guys are going to be correct on that one though i do love the idea of having you know more events is more better of course right uh, more variety is more fun i like having options i mean one yeah. of the reasons i love chaos draft is because it it's just so replayable yeah you can do it over and over and never really <laughs> do the same thing twice so i think your biggest argument is that for us lovers of other things that appear on the alternative play calendar it's said that such a huge amount of time is blocked up in quotation marks by the vintage cube. Yes and no, uh, because I don't want to begrudge anyone their vintage cube. Like No, I but you want something additional to it. Right, but the problem then is I think the player base gets split, right? If yes. you have 
10,000 people who are using Magic Online for the Vintage Cube, then the cube that's on there for one week or whatever probably won't have too many active players, unfortunately. Yeah, for sure. Um, but if that weren't an issue, then you would prefer just to have something alongside the Vintage Cube, even if it's not there all of the time. Yeah, and I, I think there's some merit to like having it only come up every once in a while. Um, I think it, it draws more if it's on there less, if that makes sense. Like like seeing it only during the holidays or only doing the other things, like it, it makes it like you want to come in and you want to come draft it because it's only going to be live for so many weeks and other things where it would lose, I guess it would lose its luster if it was there always. And I, I'm a lot more inclined to play it if it's there less. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Not just about yourself, but I think that would probably characterize most players. At least if I had to guess. Yeah, there's for sure some people that would play it all of the time. Can you imagine how many trophies Jabro would have after oh. a year of this <laughs> oh. He would never, ever have to put money into Moto ever again. <laughs> he might be at that point anyway. Yeah, that's I, true. I imagine he is. I mean, that's, I don't know. I think there are a lot of players who are infinite on Magic Online. And I mean, I imagine that Jabro is one of them. I think he wins too much not to be. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I sadly like with the the time zones. I can't watch that much of him to know what his like conversion rate is. But I mean, he's an amazing player and has so many trophies, and it must be high enough. To- One of the funny things about Jabra too, uh, just as I've like started to spend more time watching him now and then, I'll notice these like small mistakes uh, that he makes, and like sometimes I'll point them out in chat. Sometimes I won't. And for a while, I thought that that kind of meant something about what he was like as a player and then i realized it's kind of the opposite because the reason a lot of the time i think that he makes some small mistakes is because he's going for so many hours like he's so exhausted he's like pushed himself like past the limit like i would be throwing entire matches yes like maybe like tapping a land wrong or something like (laughs) it's just crazy like his endurance is unbelievable yeah, it's crazy. He's got kids and a whole family and a life and a job, and he still manages on top of all of these things against insurmountable odds to tr- to be the top of the trophy board every single season. Oh. <laughs> yep, that spot sums it up. He's amazing. Okay, um, so one thing that I was talking about in, uh, in Twitch chat with, with some people a little bit um, was the my feeling that the mtga cube often has games that feel more complicated to play than the vintage cube would you agree or disagree with that step um yeah i think i would agree just because the power level of the cards is very swingy um so trying to figure out what your opponent has and what your opponent's on and how it interacts with what you're doing i think it's a lot more complicated than getting like turn one channel emmer cooled and other things (laughs) Maybe it's just my familiarity with uh, MTGO Vintage Cube and like knowing most of the cards and how they interact and what the decks are and not 100% knowing that in the MTGA Cube. But I also feel like the cards have so much text, especially also the very powerful cards in the Arena Cube. And I feel like it like really gets very complicated to to play. A bit oh, like wait. the... Um, that I also enjoyed, like the... The proliferate cube, for example, I felt in a similar way. Stuff interacting a lot with each other and like having to read a lot, and that I th- I think that actually the arena cube is harder to play, at least for me. But maybe there's um, general difficulty there. 
Yeah, I think it it predominantly comes from the fact that MTGA has and the the cube itself has an abundance of cards printed since twenty nine like 2017 and since then cards have just been getting wordier and like the uh the abilities that they've been printing on cards have just been getting wackier uh like one of the like it's not predominant in cube but one that comes up a bunch is like mutate um there are cards in the cube with mutate and other things um but the combination of cards that you've played with in paper cards that you've played with only on mtg arena and then alchemy cards as well because there's a whole slew of alchemy yeah. cards in the cube like being able to remember all of that and getting acquainted with all that if you're not an enfranchised mtga player is a very tough task yeah yeah so there's like some cards like for example key to the archive mm -hmm. um which is it's like for four mana it's a mana artifact comes to play tapped and taps for two mana of any combination of colors but upon entering the battlefield you in quotation marks, draft a card from the key to the archive spellbook, and then discard a card. And this basically selects three random cards from the, um, what was it called? Mythical archive from Strixhaven. So it's basically the cards that are in there, like Counterspell, Lightning Bolt. Demonic Tutor. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah right. I think Demonic Tutor also could be. It's not all of them, it's a selection of them, um, but gives you a selection of those. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, I could be in the mix, but um, maybe you're just right. But my point is that this gives also like so much complexity to the cards, like not knowing what you will have there and like having to click through, like you can click through what is in the spellbook. Is there anything in here that could get me out of this situation? Um, and then you play it and then you get the option of three, which might include what you were hoping for or not. And um, also that these cards, like introduce cards to the cube that aren't even in the cube. Um, I don't know. I think this is like fun, but also very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, you're definitely, I think a lot of the games you end up playing, like your biggest opponent in some games is yourself. <laughs> and so when you're, especially when you're not uh, acquainted with the cards um, and you're getting cards with random effects, like you can definitely swing yourself down or up significantly based on like what random cards come out of these cards. Um, like, I know the bottom end of that key is, like, Putrefy, and then the top end is, like, Demonic Tutor, <sighs> Approach of the Second Sun. Um, just, like, yeah. This cube, for me, just trying to watch it, like, seeing, like, Key to the Archive or whatever in Numat's hand, thinking, oh, okay, this is a mana rock, but wait, there's more. Like, how how do I parse this as, like, a viewer? Like, this would not be super intuitive, I feel like, as a player. Yeah. Uh, so it does strike me as, like, pretty intimidating and complex and potentially fun i don't know arena still doesn't run on my computer but um but yeah it's definitely a lot of words no matter how you slice it yeah it's just a very different feel from the uh, vintage cube and it's powerful in very different ways like it's just so many haymakers like even the mono red deck doesn't win like the mono red deck does in the vintage cube in the vintage cube like you curve out and then you play like maybe one five drop or max two five plus cards and close out the game with them but in uh the arena cube it's much more like explosive haymakers than the uh, early drops that find the deck i feel like maybe i'm wrong i've not like seen like a million drafts with it but ember cleave like just finishing the opponent from i don't know 12 life or something is relatively common like you play like a bit like chip damage and then you have like some huge splashy effects to end the game. And I feel like this is much more what 
also other decks do in the forward. Like, I feel like everything at some point like completely explodes. And by explodes, you just mean like scales up to these like incredibly powerful like haymakers that swing the game. Yeah, kind of single handedly. Yeah. yeah, maybe a little bit like in the in the Lift the Dream Cube, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. also a little bit differently. Or like there's a lot more early plays, but okay. I often feel like they don't matter all too much, and it's like bomb driven limited in a way, but everybody has a lot of bombs. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's very hard for me to play it and very hard for me to put a hand on it, like a finger on it, yeah. Why? how it actually works. So I'm, a lot of what I'm saying could be just wrong because I'm not performing very well. Like I'm, I think I'm one twoing or 2 wanting the drafts I'm playing. Yeah. And I don't feel like I really have good grasp on how to actually approach it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel that. I definitely have come out of drafts with decks that I feel look really, really good. And then I end up just getting crushed by other decks that have completely different things going on, and I have no idea how to account for it. Yeah, and no way to interact with it often, even. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I drafted my like aggressive deck with creature removal and decent curve, and I don't know, then I feel like I get approach of the second sand, and then two things get bounced, and then I somehow lost the game. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's really funny. Yeah, I think... Um... The best advice that I've heard from it so far is uh, from Ben Wheeler. He does quite a bit of MTGA content, and uh, he was doing some draft to the cube, and I was like, yeah, this format is predominantly based around five-man enchantments. If you can end up with these, it's a very good sign. Um, and those are Double Vision, which uh, when you cast your first instant sorcery each turn, it copies uh, Marari's Wake, and then the Scarab God is an honorary enchantment. <laughs> so building decks around these cards generally lead to overall positive like it favors you gotcha yeah i can see that so somebody i want to shout out for showing you how to draft this cube in a fun way is uh, lord tupperware mm. i really enjoy his streams because he's permanently like he calls this the companion cube and keeps forcing companions uh, often before he even knows if they will be open mm. so like he that's just drafts three plus cost cards because he knows if a Karuga gets opened it will probably come to him and like puts a huge emphasis on drafting um, how he calls them secret one and secret twos which are cards that have like a cycle for um, less than three like mana or I don't know yeah Brazen Borrower is a good example or, um, or the what is the the giant called with Stomp Bonecrusher Shock oh Bonecrusher yeah Bonecrusher yeah or just anything you can foretell is a secret to stuff yeah. like that. And I don't know, it's just really fun. Like, he has a lot of fun with this cube. He's not optimizing it for winning, but just bending over backwards to hopefully get a companion and companion in it. I think that's a fun way to draft the cube, and I enjoy Sounds watching. like a lot of stipulation drafts to me. Just like a three-plus <laughs> step, like, regardless yeah. of the companion. Yeah. Yeah, it's not always two plus. Sometimes, like he has a start where he says, "Oh no, I'm really hoping to get Lurus," and like drafts a Lurus deck. And sometimes it's in the end a Lurus list. Are Lurus all the deck. companions in there? But, like, do you have like yeah, Zerda, Jairuda? Okay. No, just four of no. just four of them. It's Lurus, Karuga, Yorion, and Obosh. Obosh, yep. Obosh is fun. Yeah, so it's a decent cube, and uh, yeah. I think I really also enjoy about it that a lot of people are streaming it, the same as the Vintage Cube. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of buzz. It's also cheap, which I think is a big draw. Yeah, it's... But I mean, the Vintage Cube also isn't really... I think the Vintage Cube even is better, um, or like, 
the rank is not as strong, right? You get still 50 play points for a 1 and 2. And yeah. in, the, in the arena cube, you get for a 1 and 2, like, few cards, like some random rare. Yeah, the EV is for sure lower, but the initial like intro, like getting into a cost is also much lower. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. All right. So, is there anything left that you want to talk about? Um, unless Finite has something, I do just have one last. I have a memorable play from Vintage Cube, and I wanted to pull y'all to see what a uh, what decision you would have made in this instance. Ah, what's the play? All right. Yeah. What's the play? So, here we are on Jund Reanimator, predominantly black. We have two pieces of Hand Aid in hand. We have a Thoughtseize and a Kite Self Rebooter. And opponent's on the play. So opponent goes turn one Forest Go. You go turn one Swamp Thoughtseize. And the cards that you see, the, the notable cards that you see are Rafelos and Channel. And the other card in your hand is a Kite Self Rebooter. Um, there's another, not, another powerful non-creature spell. I forget what it was. But um, in that instance... Would you rather take the Rofellos or the I really the want to know what the uh, non-creature spell is. I imagine it's not something that can be channeled into. Um, okay. It was not, so no. I, I mean, it seems like the intuitive thing to do is you thought seize the Rofellos. Hopefully, you, basically, you just like pray that they don't top deck in Eldrazi. The next turn, you freeboot her away the channel. But I'm guessing what's what you're going to say happened is they did top deck the Eldrazi. <laughs> Um, yeah, so unfortunately, in this instance, I took the Rofello, so I was like, alright, I'm hopefully free and clear, the next turn I can pick up this channel, and all I have to do, I have, there's one window, one turn, in which the opponent can top deck something, and of course they top deck uh, a Karn, and yeah. just run away with the game. I'm sure that you made the right play, unless you had a removal spell for the Rofello, yeah. like, <laughs> I think that's the only chance where I would, like, if I had a, um... Even a three mana removal spell. If I had a three mana removal spell, I think I would already take the channel. I think with a two mana, it's clear. If I have like a four mana removal spell, like I don't know a Raska, then I think it gets really close. Mm -hmm. But the way you played it, I think is just um, just yeah, yeah, the I way you should play it. Definitely agree. I yeah, think yeah. if you're wondering about that, you can feel vindicated at least as far as Jakob and I are concerned because. Um, <laughs> Not just vindicated by the right. current ability, which I mean, it's pretty close to vindicate. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that was bad. Um, anyway, yeah, think, <laughs> like just trying to take the chances to interact when you can makes perfect sense. There are plenty of spots where I've said to my opponent, "Okay, you have one turn to top deck something," and the more the majority of the time they don't get there, especially if they're mono green. Right, like it's one thing if they're blue green, and then maybe they have a lot of cantrips um, that can allow them to get there more easily, and then you do have to worry like quite a bit more if they have, you know, let's say like four chances to hit. If you count ponder as like with the shuffle, it's a, another way to hit the Eldrazi or whatever. And of course, like mm -hmm. in that instance, like you know that wouldn't even work. Um, I guess maybe like a Gitaxian probe or something could work, but still, I, I'm pretty confident, just like Jakob, that you. Played to your outs, and unfortunately, the opponent had uh, better outs in that spot. Yeah, they, sometimes they hit their outs. But this reminds me of um, one thing I saw also on a stream, but I also experienced myself before. Um, it was on the stream of uh, Napa Moins. Maybe I can also link that. He's just started streaming with this recent Vintage Cube iteration. So I lo always love it finding new streamers, um, getting it on with the Vintage Cube. Um, but this 
thing that happened is he was in the, I think, 0-1 or maybe even 0-2 bracket. And the opponent started with uh, Land, Mox, uh, Solring, uh, and I think like Basalt Monolith or something like that. Like having an incredible amount of mana available on uh, turn 1 or for, ready for turn 2. And looking at uh, Napamon's hand, it was like, okay, so the best I can master is like a 6 turn clock and I can't really interact with your stuff. I guess you have six turns to top deck something, or like even have something in hand, but that just never happened. The opponent just never did anything, and I think that is also peak vintage cube. Like people completely exploding their hand out, having a million mana, then just doing nothing for the rest of the game. Oh that yeah, peak vintage cube. Panthers, <laughs> would say. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah exactly. and that's once again why the aggro decks are so busted, in my opinion, because like you can start with these other decks like these artifact decks um where it seems like you're incredibly far ahead but at the end of the day you're playing a combo deck not a combo deck in the sense that you're trying to go infinite and kill someone but a combo deck in that you need multiple different kinds of cards to try to you know enact your game plan um and a lot of the time like variance is just going to impact a deck like that much more than a deck that isn't focused on a combo like that um, yeah like when people say that burn is really a combo deck that combines that and that many bo uh, like burn spells to kill the opponent, the aggressive decks in the Vintage Cube, they are not a combo deck. They really just need two or three lands and then they'll play one threat that will end the game very quickly. And if they have additional threats, it just makes it better. But yeah, and That's it just works. <laughs> especially with the fast mana, if you're able to pick that up. Um, yeah, I think that is pretty much going to cover it for this episode. Um, Pleasure having you on here, Wombat, and also pleasure drafting your cube, of course. Looking forward to doing that again. Um, and if you, any listeners out there, enjoyed this episode, or if you're interested in joining us for any drafts, we are firing ever more drafts these days. Uh, feel free to join our Discord. We're a pretty open community, always happy to um, some new faces in here, virtually as always, and uh, hopefully we will be seeing you soon. Yeah, we are really open and often draft without timers and yeah just come and play with us we fired so many <laughs> chaos drafts recently and yes. probably also more cubes so come and join us here thanks for listening and happy kiwi bye bye let's say bye one that you don't have to but you can right. <laughs> bye <laughs> <laughs> Tag right. that in there wherever you please, crack shot. No, no, I will leave it exactly like it. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>